The scripture reading for this afternoon is taken from that very same psalm, Psalm 123. And we'll be looking at this in connection with the question of prayer that we find in Lord's Day 45 of the Heidelberg Catechism. The question of prayer. Psalm 123 can be found on page 711 of your pew Bible. This is a song of ascents. Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid looks to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy on us, for we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease, with the contempt of the proud. We'll now go to the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 45, and you'll be able to find that on page 559 of your book of praise. Why is prayer necessary for Christians? Because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. Moreover, God will give his grace and the Holy Spirit only to those who constantly and with heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. What belongs to a prayer which pleases God and is heard by him? First, we must from the heart call upon the one true God only, who has revealed himself in his word for all that he has commanded us to pray. Second, we must thoroughly know our need and misery so that we may humble ourselves before God. Third, we must rest on this firm foundation that although we do not deserve it, God will certainly hear our prayer for the sake of Christ our Lord as he has promised us in his word. What has God commanded us to ask of him? All things we need for body and soul as included in the prayer which Christ our Lord himself taught us. What is the Lord's prayer? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. About 500 years ago, Protestant Europe was in turmoil. You had not just the political uncertainty that was all around, but there was also religious uncertainty and even class struggle that was going on at this time. One of the men who was at the forefront of this was the reformer Martin Luther. Now at this time, there were people who had taken Luther's teachings and they had turned it into a call for poor workers to overthrow rich leaders. Thousands of poor people went through the countryside burning and pillaging homes in what was later called the Peasants' Rebellion. Those who were Luther's true followers 
who held fast to the word of God, they had to take a very firm stand on this to show that being true to Scripture had nothing to do with overthrowing the government. But even so, many wicked accusations came his way because of this. Luther himself personally had a hard time of it as well during this time. Excommunicated by the Pope, his life became very uncertain. He went into hiding for quite some time in Wartburg Castle. But during all of this, whether facing the uncertainty of where his teachings might lead people who want to use it for their own purposes, facing the weight of responsibility for those who followed him, facing the fact that his life might be taken at any day, and facing the condemnation of all of the earthly spiritual leaders, Luther never forgot this one thing, that his God was sovereign. His God was in control. And so because of this, he would pray to his God and his Father every single day. Prayer became a staple for Luther during this difficult time of his life. And of course, as with all who struggle, who begin to face more struggles in this life and therefore begin to pray to the Lord more earnestly, he looked to God's word to direct him in how to go about praying. And it was at this time that the deep riches of the Lord's prayer came to his attention. For Luther... And for believers around the world, the Lord's Prayer is not just another prayer. It's a prayer that our Savior himself gave to those who followed him. And this made men like Luther pay special attention to what exactly our Lord Jesus Christ was teaching his disciples through this prayer. It's also deeply personal prayer. This is where the Lord Jesus Teaching is teaching believers what to look for and what to expect in the crucible of everyday life, where war is made for the heart by the powers that are at work in this age, the devil, the world, and the sinful self, as well as the Holy Spirit in this new age, working more freely and powerfully in Christ's death and resurrection. To Luther... In the crucible, this furnace that heats and purifies metal, this crucible of everyday life, this was something that he was intimately familiar with. And so the Lord's Prayer was to him the perfect representation of where believers could find comfort and solace as they looked to their Heavenly Father in the face of this cosmic struggle This struggle that began in the beginning with the fall into sin in the Garden of Eden. This antithesis, this war between the forces of light and darkness. And so we'll look to this hope that we have under this theme, prayer. First of all, patient expectation and thankfully receiving. As we opened this psalm today, you'll have noticed that this psalm is called one of the songs of ascents. The opening lines of this psalm are words that would have been on the lips 
of the people as they are traveling up to Jerusalem for feast days. Now, these songs weren't meant to be sung in isolation. They were songs that were sung one after another as people drew closer and closer to the holy city itself. Beginning with songs of sadness, in Psalm 120, calling out with distress, if you keep on going psalm by psalm, you'll see how it slowly gets more and more joyful. What's happening here is that people are coming out of their everyday lives and they're carrying very real burdens with them. It's dark and it's difficult for them. They're facing threats from raiders from surrounding countries and city-states. They're facing with crop failures, with crime, with sorrow, with broken personal relationships. They have very real lives. Because the sin and the brokenness of this world isn't something that's just in our age. This is something that has been with the people of God since that time of the fall into sin. Just like Luther and the Protestants were crying out in the time of the Reformation, and just like we today bear the weights and sorrows of living in a broken world, so too do these Israelites come with very real everyday lives and a broken world that lies behind them. But something unique happens. These people are coming from the surrounding tribes. But they have a destination in mind. They are coming to the Lord, to the house of the Lord, for worship. And as they come closer and closer to the temple, their hearts quicken, their pace picks up, and their tunes become more joyful until there's a crescendo of praise that reaches its peak in Psalm 133 where they can finally rejoice together in the bond that they have in common. These people who are coming from, from broken and uncertain situations all around the nation of Israel, they're coming together and suddenly you have a, crowds of people. This man who came from Dan, this man who came from the tribe of Zebulun, this man who came from Benjamin, this man who came from the hill country of Judea, all of them from different backgrounds, different areas coming together and they see each other and they're speaking with each other. Some even speaking with different accents because of the different regions they come from and yet they all share this one thing in common. And so Psalm 133, it bursts out in praise on how good and pleasant it is for brothers to live together in unity. And then... You have Psalm 134 as they approach the house of the Lord itself. They call on the servants of the Lord who stand in the house of the Lord, the priests, to bless the Lord. And then the priests in return speak and they bless the people from Zion. They are walking up to the holy mountain from the plains and the Shefla, the region of the foothills, and the Jordan Valley along the Jericho Road in the east. Every step they take lifts them one step higher, one step higher from the low countries to the Temple Mount. 
It's physically taking them up between the mountains, through the valleys, ever higher and higher. And with each step, they also rise spiritually higher and higher as they come from their situations. And they are joining together with fellow believers in unity. Their hearts are lifted up as they sing, moving from one song of ascent into another. Their hearts are lifted up as they are looking towards their final destination. But in the meantime, this is where we find our psalm today. The burdens of the day are still weighing heavily on the people. They start low in Psalm 120 and then go up in Psalm 121 as they come to the hills saying, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? And then they look for relief here in Psalm 123 remembering the situations they came from. They eventually acknowledge where they find it and that they find it in Psalm 124. But here in our psalm, they haven't reached that point yet. They're still in a dark valley. They have not yet made it through. And so in this time, as they keep moving, they lift up their eyes to their Lord. As the eyes of servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of made to the hand of our mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. They are waiting patiently as they are moving from their afflictions and from the difficulties and oppression that they face in their lives. They are waiting patiently, waiting for the Lord to have mercy on them. As they move to that final goal, the presence of the Lord, their covenant God. We can see this coming to the fore again. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Lord, in capital letters that we hear time and time again, meaning that covenant relationship that they have with their God. They are looking to the Lord in this time. Building on that relationship. Now, in the ancient world, if someone from a lower class looked to someone in the upper class for aid, they would actually have their eyes fixed on the person to whom they were speaking, fixed even on the fingers of the person to whom they were speaking, looking for the smallest signal of approval, disapproval, of the beckoning call. Think of Queen Esther for a moment. She was in the court of her husband, King Ahasuerus, and as she came in to petition him, standing in the courts just within the line of sight of King Ahasuerus. She was standing there and she had the death penalty hanging over her head. Simply coming into the presence of the king, into his line of sight, without having been summoned, meant that you had the death penalty hanging over your head. When she came in to petition him, it was actually a death sentence for her unless the king himself lifted up his hand and extended his scepter. Just by entering in, if he stood there and just looked at her, then the guards would carry her away for execution. She was in pretty dire straits. 
And so her eyes were fixed on his hand, on his scepter, as the source of her salvation. And it was only because of the relationship that he had with her and the fact that he looked on her with grace that he was pleased with her because of the relationship that he had with her that he stretched out his hand, he stretched out his scepter towards her. In the same way, in their difficult times, like those people in our psalm, we have our gaze fixed on the source of our salvation. It's on the Lord, the God with whom we have a covenant relationship that their eyes and our eyes are fixed to provide direction and relief. But it's not just waiting. Just as the Israelites, we who are God's people, who have already been laid claim to as uh, as God's people, we do this as we are coming to God in response to the relationship that he has established with us. Our God gives us open lines of communication. And just like in every good and healthy relationship, He wants us to use those lines of communication. In the Old Testament, this meant that they themselves would walk through these valleys up the hill to the temple of the Lord, where His priests offered their sacrifice day in and day out. And for us, it's where we kneel down in private or publicly together and we lift up our hearts to the throne of grace where our God is in heaven. God wants us to use those lines of communication. In the first place, he wants us to listen to him. Through his word, he gives us guidance for many parts of our life. But more than that, he wants us to recognize his goodness towards us through his word. And then to speak to him in response. Now the first part of our catechism dealt with very much with those things. God first opens our eyes in the first part of the catechism to our need for grace. We realize what sinners we are. That's the first thing that God says to us. But he's told us more than that. He's told us that through Jesus Christ, because of what he's done for us, we can draw near to him. He extends his hand of grace and we can come to him. And we don't just ask him for direction on how to live in this life. This was what the first part of our thankfulness focused on. We saw this as we moved through the Ten Commandments. But we don't just stop there. We can also draw near to him to receive strength, to carry on going through this life. In the face of the antithesis, in the face of that cosmic war between the powers of darkness and the power of God, that crucible of daily life in which we as believers live, in which we face every effort of the prince of darkness to bend us to his will, In that crucible of daily life, we look intensely on our Lord and Master, asking for his grace. 
and waiting on the basis of that relationship that we have with him, waiting in patient expectation. And this brings us to our second point. Thankfully receiving. Now in our Heidelberg Catechism, we get the same sense of patient and hopeful expectation. We find that in the question of why is prayer necessary for Christians? Well, because prayer is the most important part of the thankfulness which God requires of us. And indeed, it's true. Prayer in itself is an admission of thankfulness. Just the very fact of coming to God in prayer is a declaration to God that we are thankful of the relationship that he built with us to make it possible to ask him for everything we need, body and soul, everything we need in life. And it's something that we should lean on heavily, beloved. Because our God delights in us taking advantage of the blessings that he has put on our path, these blessings like prayer. Moreover, he uses it as an instrument to further bless us with his grace. So shouldn't that be a reason to keep on returning time and time again to that throne of grace? He delights in it when we do this. But it's also more than simply the fact that we are praying itself that is an expression of our thanks. God is the one who gives us the gift of prayer and gives us every good and perfect thing besides, it's true. But God will, as our catechism says, grant his grace and his Holy Spirit only to those who with constant and heartfelt longing ask him for these gifts and thank him for them. Our Lord Jesus Christ speaks about this as well. How much more will your Father in heaven grant the Holy Spirit to those who ask him for it, for him. Just being a part of the people of God and sharing in the name the people of God isn't a guarantee that you'll receive all the blessings of the Lord, beloved. Don't take it for granted. But rather, thankfully, receive this gift that he's given to you. And instead of, as is your nature and as is my nature, Instead of stubbornly trying to go our own way and get ourselves or someone else out of the mess in our own strength, come to God. Have you ever seen a small child who's trying to move something that they can't possibly move by themselves? They've only to ask you for help and you'll come to them. You have the strength, you have the power, you have the relationship, you have the desire to help them. You've told them this. But they refuse. They hold you off at a distance and get more and more frustrated and angry that they can't do it by themselves. That's you and me when we choose to ignore this gift of prayer that has been so freely extended to us. Receive it with thankfulness. First, call on the one true God only who has revealed himself in his word. He's revealed himself as the God who's established a relationship, a covenant relationship with you, and who extends his mercy and his grace to help you in your hour of need. 
Don't call on him as a God that you're imposing on because that's not the God he is. He's not some busy CEO who has no time for the voice of a child. He's your father. And he's watching you struggle and watching you reject his help and refusing to reach out to him if that is what you're doing. And he's there, ready to give mercy and aid in your time of need. Ask to him for his help, just like the people of our psalm do. Receive his promise that's been wrapped up in the relationship that he's established with you. Receive it with thankfulness. And show that thankfulness by leaning on this gift of prayer. Now the only way you'll be able to do this is if you come to thoroughly know your own need and your own misery. Just like that child, you and I, we need to humble ourselves to realize that there's no possible way that we can move this mountain on our own. And then we can, truly from the heart, cry out to him. And it's when you've done this, you've recognized who he is as God. You've recognized your own need and your own inability. It's when you've done this that you will, thirdly, be able to rest on that firm foundation that God will hear your prayer not on the basis of your own worthiness or the worthiness of what you're asking of him, but on the basis of those capital letters, Lord, Yahweh, on the basis of the relationship that those letters signify. Though we do not deserve it, yet for his own name's sake and for the love that he bears for those he has marked with his own name, God will hear and grant that prayer for mercy, grant that prayer for grace and for the Holy Spirit in your hour of need. And we have this even more certainly than the Israelites did. These Israelites, as they're working as, as, as they're walking up the mountain and as they're walking to the house of God, they have confidence in their hearts. And you can see this with the progression of the hymns that they sing with more and more joy as they come towards the presence of God to worship Him in this special place that He has chosen to reveal His presence. But we have a confidence that's even more certain than the Israelites did. How do we know this to be true? Well, consider here the picture that these Israelites are using is the picture of a servant looking to the hands of their master, waiting on the favor of their Lord. But we have something that's even deeper and richer. Beloved, Turn to Galatians 4, verses 4 to 7 with me. It speaks about how we were in bondage, how we were slaves to sin. We read in verse 4, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, 
born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Beloved, we are sons and daughters of the king. We are his heirs. Why would we try to go it alone, rejecting the help of our father? Of our father. If those who considered themselves as being no more worthy than servants were able to find confidence in this covenant name of the Lord, if they were able to find confidence to cry out to him in the closing words of our psalm, to lay out all of their need. We've had more than enough of the contempt of those who are around us. To lay out all of their need before him, raw and open. If they were able to find confidence in the covenant name of the Lord to cry out to him for help, then how can we who know ourselves not just to be servants but to be children possibly refrain from calling to him. Call out to him, beloved. It doesn't matter if your life is in turmoil. It doesn't matter if the thing that you're asking him hardly even feels worthy to be brought to his attention. It doesn't matter if, like in Martin Luther, you feel that every power of the age has lined itself up against you. He will grant you his grace and the Holy Spirit to see it through. All for his holy and his covenant name's sake. All for the sake of his son, Jesus Christ. Amen.